find your way this morning as we start a new series to Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at the subject passion and power. Thank you for standing as you open the Word of God together. Passion and power, finding your identity in the crucified, resurrected Lord. We don't want to just wait until Easter and rush through the significance of identifying with the crucified, resurrected Lord. Everything's going to kind of build toward Easter. And today will be a passage that introduces this theme. And then we're going to use some favorite passages that talk about our identity as believers with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. When we speak of his passion, we, we speak of his suffering. And then we'll look at his resurrection and, and, and our identity in all of that. So this passage is a great text to get us started. I'll just call this text, Knowing Jesus. Knowing, if we're going to identify with him, then we need to know him. And if you know him this morning, we are all in need of knowing him better. And so if you found your place in Ephesians 3, let's just start down at verse 7. The Apostle Paul writing says, But everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them filth, rubbish, garbage. Various translations say that in different ways. It's dung, it's refuse is the, the Greek word there. He says, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Found in him. Say that with me. Found in him. That's where you want your identity, in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. My goal, my desire is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Father, we thank you for this powerful reminder of what it means to know you and to be found in you. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that would not be found in you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would come to know something that is more real than religion and more real than following man's laws, but they would find their identity in the crucified, resurrected Lord. And may we all learn over this day and these next weeks what it means to find our identity in Christ. Lord, I pray now that you would give me clarity I pray that the Holy Spirit would communicate the truth of God's Word beyond what I I could ever say from this pulpit as, Lord, you penetrate straight to our hearts, change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Many of you perhaps watched the uh, memorial service for Dr. Billy Graham, powerful service and, and really a picture of what a funeral should be for all Christians, a celebration of a life, celebration of a home going and, and the discussion of 
the difference that we made. And I know I, I went through my own personal moment of recommitment, rededication to God's call on my life just by watching that funeral service. But I was reminded of a story that Billy Graham used to enjoy telling quite often, but he said that he was early in ministry and he went to a small town to preach before you had all the means of communication that we have today. And while he was in that small town getting ready to preach, he asked a little boy that he saw, he said, can you um, tell me where the post office is? I've written a letter. I want to be sure to mail this letter back home. Can you tell me where the post office is? And the little boy gave him directions and said, well, here's where the post is. Small town, easy to find. Here's where the post office is. And told him where the post office is. And then Dr. Graham looked at him and said, well, uh, son, I want to invite you to come hear me preach tonight. Tell your parents I'm going to be preaching. I'm going to be explaining how you can find your way to heaven. And I just wanted to ask you to come and hear me preach tonight. And he said that the little boy looked up at him and said, sir, I don't think I'm going to come here to you tonight because you can't even find your way to the post office, <laughs> much less tell somebody how to get to heaven. Well, I'm, I'm sure that he understood that he could explain and did for many, many years to people how they can get to heaven. But you know, heaven as your destination has everything to do with who your identity is today, that you would be found in Christ. And a lot of us struggle with where we're going, not just in eternity. We struggle with where we're going with our life and in this life because we don't know who we are. And we don't know who we are in Christ and what it means to be found in Christ or whether or not we truly are in Christ. It's what I would call an identity crisis. Not only not knowing who we are in Christ, not knowing what it means to be in Christ and to be found in Christ, not knowing who we are, period, trying to find ourselves, as many will say, where we're headed in life, sometimes believing that we're somebody we're not, striving, striving to become somebody we were never intended to be, or sometimes stri striving to become that person that everybody else wants you to be. Anybody been there? Trying to be what everybody else says you have to be. And, and so we go through the pressures and the playing out the different roles in life, the stress that comes along with that, ultimately leading to dysfunctional relationships, often depression and discouragement, poor self-esteem, or the opposite of poor self-esteem, perhaps uh, becoming a little bit I may, may be talking more to the men here, but becoming more egotistical, thinking we are really all that in and of ourselves. Sometimes even developing our own Messiah complex. You know what the Messiah complex is? The one that thinks that we have to be everybody's answer to everything. Things that we were never intended to be and do. Always knowing deep down inside we're missing something longing for something. J.I. Packer gives a biblical case for knowing Christ and knowing God in his book titled Knowing God. If you haven't read it, it's a classic. I would encourage every believer to read it. But he says this, those who know God have great energy for God. Those who know God have great boldness for God. And those who know God find great contentment in God. So think about that this morning for a moment. Do you have great energy for God? 
Do you have great boldness for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you find yourself as someone who finds great contentment in God? And if you're lacking that energy for God, that boldness for God, and that contentment in God, perhaps it's because you don't know him like he's called you to know him. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And within this context of really what we see here in verse 1, finally, brothers rejoice in the Lord to write this again, or to write about this again is no trouble for me, and it's protection for you. He keeps saying what is a theme in the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's a book about joy and finding joy in Him and rejoicing in Him regardless of life's situations and even life circumstances that even Paul found himself in under house arrest at this time. As he's writing, he's saying, I don't want you to lose your joy. When we don't know God like God has called us to know him, then we lose our joy. And so there's a lack of energy, there's a lack of boldness, there's a lack of contentment, and according to the book of Philippians, I believe there's a lack of joy when we're not knowing and finding our identity in Christ. This morning, I want to call you to two commitments as we start this process. As we begin to look at these other great texts of the Bible, very familiar texts that show us our identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and the resurrection of Christ, I want to call you to two commitments. The first one is going to be a commitment to forsake all misguided and self-defeating identities. Got it? It's, it's a call to forsake all misguided and self-defeating identities. If we're going to find our identity in Christ, there's some other areas where we could find and place our identity, our significance, our security, and those places will always cause us problems. And one thing I believe that Paul wanted to forsake was his identity that came from sin, whether you're talking about your sin or the sins of others, the message of the gospel delivers you from being identified with those sins or with the sins of others. In verse 6, Paul talked about how he had zealously persecuted the church. No wonder in verse 13, he would say, leaving those things which are behind, he said, there are some things in my past I would like to forget about. And every one of us here this morning can certainly think of some things in our past that we would like to forget about. And the good news of the gospel is that we do not have to be identified by our sins or being a victim of the sins of others. When Paul discussed his wrestling with sin in Romans chapter 7, and he said, I find myself sometimes doing what I don't want to do, and sometimes I don't want to do what I know to do, he came to a place of resolution and Romans 8, 1, when he said, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See why you want to be found in Christ? You're you're no longer identified by your sins or the sins of others impact on your life. What does the Bible say God does with our sins in Romans, I mean, sorry, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 12, it says he will remember our sins no more. In Psalm 103, and verse 12, it says that God separates our sins from us as far as the east is from 
the west. Now, you can go north and south and reach a destination, but you start going around the earth east and west, you never get to where you're going. In other words, he eternally separates us from our sins. In Micah 7 and 19, it says that he has hurled our sins. It was a prophecy, and I believe even what was going to be promised in the Messiah, but that he would hurl our sins into the deepest ocean to be buried and forgotten. And then in Ephesians 1, 7, for the Christian, we know that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, the remission of sin, the eradication is what it's talking about. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's not only forgiven, but he has eradicated our sins. We do not have to be identified by our sinful past or by the sins of others. As you look at verse 2, he's confronting the Judaizers. We spoke of them this morning in our life group. And he says, here he calls them dogs. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Speaking of how they were uh, forcing the ritual of circumcision upon those Gentile believers. It's not that the Judaizers were coming in and saying to these new Christians that you're not enough. Listen, we all know that we're not enough in and of ourselves, that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I mean, right, there, if, there, there's two things for sure in life. There is a God and you're not him. And so we know that we're not enough, and that's not what the Judaizers were saying the Judaizers, their, their problem, and the problem with their message was not that they were saying, you're not enough. They were saying, Jesus alone is not enough. And Paul would confront that, and he would say, Jesus Christ is enough. He is enough. And so they brought about a religious legalism saying, yeah, you've got to have Jesus, but then you've got to do A, B, C, and D. You've got to add. And so there was a spiritual bondage. There was a religious bondage taking hold as they would manipulate the body of Christ. You don't have to allow your sins to identify you, nor do you have to allow the sins of others in your past to control you any longer. Whether you've been abused, abandoned, as the old country song says, cheated and mistreated, bullied or mocked, you no longer have to let that define you because of the gospel. John 1.12 says that he gave us, those who believed in his name, the right, the authority to be called the sons of God, that we can be called the daughters of God. I I don't find my identity in my sins or the sins that have been perpetrated against me. I have been forgiven. I can forgive others. I've been released. I can release others. I don't want to be found in that. I know that now because of the blood of Christ, I am found in Christ, and we need to forsake all misguided And these are self-defeating identities. The me I see is the me I'll be. And if I see myself as defeated by my sins or the sins of others, then I will continue in that bondage. But when I understand that the gospel has set me free and given me the power to release others, then my identity now is in Christ as a son of God. It's not only forsaking misguided self-defeating through 
being delivered from sin, my sins, the sins of others, but also from self-righteousness. See, that, that attitude where I could learn from the Judaizers that, okay, I, I've got to show that I really am all that. So what did Paul say about his own claim to self-righteousness? Look at verse 4. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, you want to brag about personal accomplishments? I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. In other words, I came up with rules that went beyond the law. I I put hedges beyond the hedges to keep me safe with God. As to zeal persecuting the church, as to righteousness that is in the law, he said, man, I was blameless. But that's not where his hope was. See, there's no place in the church for comparing ourselves with others and how much we have it all together. We are all products of his grace. And when we are found in Christ, we are found on a journey of grace together, and so we don't look and, and, and help everybody else hedge the law and say, I hope they can become just like me. We point people to Jesus Christ and say, you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, and that as you grow in grace and knowledge of Christ, it's not that I make you become more like me or that I'm to become more like you. It's that we're all, by the grace of God, becoming more like Jesus. That's our passion. That's our goal. And then, ultimately, we are delivered from the success syndrome, success in the world's eyes. Look at verses 7 and 8. But everything that was gained to me, everything that I could have bragged about as a success in life, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I think of George Beverly Shea, who sang with Billy Graham for so many years, I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth, rubbish, refuse, dung, whatever translation you have. One professor told me that the English translation of that word would not be allowed to be said in church. He says, so that I may gain Christ. I don't need the successes of this world. I read even this week a little bit about Freddie Mercury in a devotion. Freddie Mercury, you, you don't recall that name, but if I, uh, those children of the 80s or that were teens in the 80s like me, you know the rock group Queen. He was lead singer of the rock group Queen. And he asked a question on one of his last albums before he died. And he died with HIV AIDS, suffered a a, a horrible death. He asked a question, does anyone know what we are living for? That kind of changed from the early years, right? Most people hear Queen, they're thinking of ball games and we will rock you or 
another one bites the dust. Or as we learned in our backwards masking conferences when I was a kid that it really says backwards, I want to smoke marijuana. And so if we, you were listening to another one bites the dust, forget the forward message of encouraging suicide. It was the backwards masking of I want to smoke marijuana that would get you, right? He had all those songs, all those messages, and he said, does anyone know what we're living for? He said in an interview before his death, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. He goes on to say, success has brought me world idolization and millions of dollars, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. I pray that somebody was able to tell him there is a loving relationship that lasts forever, and it's the one you can have through faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. I pray that he heard that message. I don't know if he did or not, but I know that we've heard that message. And so we don't look at the success of this world for our identity it's not found in your career. Listen, you go up to any man and you meet a man for the first time you've never met before. This is a conversation men have. After they get past the weather in sports, they will ask you, what do you do? And what do you do doesn't have much to do with your family, doesn't have much to do with recreation, doesn't have much to do with your faith. When they ask, what do you do? They want to know, what is your career? What is your work? Listen, your work is not what defines who you are. We are found in Christ. So next time you hear that question, men, what do you do? Try this answer. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just happen to be on mission at and name your workplace for him and for his glory. Ladies, you can try that too. It's not defined by academic standing Wealth, so some of you, I said, it's not defined by academic standing. You're going, oh, praise God. Wealth, popularity, we tr- strive so hard to be found in favor with the world. Listen, if you listen to what the world calls you when you're a success, you will learn to listen to what the world calls you at all times. And then when they call you a failure, you'll believe them. And so it's dangerous to find your identity in what the world says about you. There will always be, in the famous words of Dale Jr. or Ricky Bobby, whichever one said it first, there will always be somebody to remind you that second place is just the first loser. See, I knew there were some other carnal people. Some of you are NASCAR fans and some of you watch the carnal movie, right? No, there's always going to be somebody to remind you you're not quite enough. Somebody in this world that will say, you don't quite measure up. Learn to ignore the lies because your identity is in Christ, not what you have done, but what he has accomplished for you, what he's doing in you and through you. There was a pastor who was preaching the word. He didn't want to worry about what everybody said, and he went to a church that had been theologically liberal before he got there. And he started preaching that the Bible is true, the gospel is true, and that it defined how we should live. And and it really confronted people. It kind of got on people, and they really didn't like the pastor calling certain things sin, even though he was just working his way through the Bible. And so he started getting ugly letters telling him what a bad preacher he was, what a bad man he was, what an evil person he was. And he said, 
Nobody ever signed the letters. Now, I'm glad I was given some advice early in my ministry is don't read letters that were unsigned. I only received a couple of those early in my ministry here, and they were from uh, other people because of our church league softball team, believe it or not. So we don't, we don't have church league softball teams, but they were, uh, they, were, they were scoring a bunch of runs and just being ugly about it, I guess. And so I got some, some letters that people didn't sign, and I thought, you know, who sends letters and doesn't sign them? And so somebody had said, don't, don't read letters that aren't signed. And, and uh, I was encouraged, if you ever have a criticism to make, don't you dare be so um, cowardly as to write a letter you wouldn't sign. Own it if you're going to write it. Well, this pastor's receiving letters, ugly letters, mean letters, didn't like his preaching, didn't like what he was doing, and they wouldn't sign it. And one day, somebody just took a sheet of paper and stuck it on the pulpit, and they wrote the word, fool. That's all it said. And as he stood up, he took the sheet of paper And he said, strangest thing happened today. He said, after all this time of getting letters that people won't sign, today I got one and all it has is your signature. (laughs) Don't allow people to identify you by the same rules that they live by. Let the world identify themselves. But our goal, verse 9, let's look at it again. I want to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own because my righteousness comes short of the glory of God. My righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. I want to be found in him. I want a righteousness that comes from him. Not from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. Because I believe in what he did through his death and burial and resurrection, I can be found in him. Now listen. We shake that off, but listen, there's now a void, right? If we, if we abandon misguided identities, then there's a void, and we need to know, well, where, where do I need to be identified? And we've seen this all throughout this passage, but we want to be found in Christ. In order to understand what that means, we need to, number two this morning, pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ than you've ever imagined. Every one of us can make that commitment. You might say, I don't even know him. Today, you can make a commitment to Jesus Christ, to know him. He's revealing himself to you. He is calling you to come to him in faith today. But even if you know him and you've known him all your life, we serve an infinite God. Paul said, this grace was given me in Ephesians 3.8, To to me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given me that I might preach the unsearchable, the unfathomable riches of Christ. That means we will never exhaust the knowledge of Christ. He will always be infinitely more than we've ever known, and we can always grow in our commitment to know him more, to love him more, to serve him better. This commitment to pursue a deeper knowledge of Christ for Paul was very personal very personal. He says, it's my goal to know him. My goal. Some translations, he says, I want to know. I desire to know Christ. To know meant both to know thoroughly and intellectually as well as know intimately and experientially. Both were necessary. 
I want to know more about him, but I want to know him more personally. See, it's possible to know all about him, to know all of the facts that you can possibly learn about Jesus, but not have a personal relationship with him. But it's also possible to have a personal relationship to know intimately, but not really know a lot about him. And both are important. Both are important. Lately in the news, I've been hearing a lot about the NFL draft that's coming up. In discussion of some of these players, you hear people saying things like, he is a student of the game. Do you realize it's possible to be a student of the game, but to have never played the game? That's possible. There are, that's what's so funny about some of the commentators, right, that we watch. They are students of the game. Many of them are students of the game who have never played the game. So it's possible to, to say, well, I, I know all about it, but I don't really experience it. I, I'm part of the crowd. I'm the armchair quarterback. I, I, I'm the, the Monday morning critic. I can say I know all about it, but I'm not really out there. And then there are those who might can say, I played the game, but I really didn't study the game. I didn't know what I was doing. The coach just told me to go here. The coaches love those who are both athletes and students of the game. They study the game. They stay up late. They study film. They know how the other team's going to perform and what they're going to do. They know the stunts. They know the tricks. And they learn. They become aware of the facts about it as well as the experience. They commit themselves to it. And when it comes to a knowledge of Christ, we need to know thoroughly about him, and we need to know him intimately. If we only know the truth about him, if we only know about Jesus and all the facts about him, we can suffer from dry, dead orthodoxy. If we only know him intimately without knowing about him and being a student of his word, then we can be given to misconceptions, we can be given to theological heresy, and we can say, oh, but I know Jesus and I walk with him, I talked with him today. There's a religious existentialism that says, really, it's just all about how it makes you feel anyway. And so we need to know both. We need to know him intimately. Then we need to know the truths of Scripture about Him, a relationship with Him, walking with Him, learning as many things as we can to live out and apply it in our lives. It was very personal. Secondly, this morning, I want you to see it was very powerful, very powerful. He says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of His resurrection, That's the missing element so many times in our gospel, in the message of Jesus Christ. We're constantly telling people that they need to know about our crucified Lord, that Jesus died for your sins and for mine. That is necessary. That is part of the gospel. But if we leave out the resurrection of Christ, we have not preached the gospel. We have not taught the gospel. We can talk about the cross all day long in the power of the cross, and that's important, but a cross without a resurrection makes Jesus a martyr and not a savior. Many religious leaders have died a martyr's death, but they were not saviors and they did not rise again. He says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. That's why we lack power in our lives and victory over sin and, and, and power to serve him in ways that we never thought were imaginable is because we speak of his death and we forget that we're to walk in the power of his resurrection day in and day out. 
Paul said, I want to know that power, that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. We'll get into that as we go along, but I'm reminded that Jimmy Scroggins, pastor of uh, West, uh, it used to be First Baptist Church, West Palm Beach. They changed their name to Family Church now. They're in West Palm Beach, right next to where our students were on mission last summer. Jimmy Scroggins said that he went on a mission trip when he was a young new preacher. He was just learning to preach. He was excited about serving the Lord. The mission trip happened to be led by Bob Tebow, which is Tim Tebow's father. And he said that Bob gave him the opportunity to preach to a large group of people. I believe this was in India. And he said, man, I couldn't believe it. Here I am on the mission field. I'm a young preacher, and I'm getting a chance to preach. And he said, I preached hard. He said, there were many decisions that were made as many came to the altar. And he said, best I understood, many were giving their life to Christ. And he thought, man, I'm a young preacher. I've done great, and uh, Bob's going to be so proud of me. And he said, afterwards, he asked Bob Tebow, Tim Tebow's father, he said, uh, how did I do? He said, son, you did great, except I asked you to preach the gospel, and you didn't preach the gospel. He's like, didn't ask me to preach the gospel. I told those people Jesus died for their sins, and many of them put their faith and trust in that death. He said, it's not a complete gospel. He said, you never once referred to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul warned, don't preach any other gospel than that which you have received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures. If we leave the resurrection out of our message, if we leave the resurrection out of our identity and out of our life, we're not preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And finally, we want to know him very passionately. Paul did say, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Sometimes as a pastor and as a Christ follower, I want to stop right there. I don't want to to get into the suffering part. Paul said, I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. We don't lose our identity as Christians when we go through suffering in this life. In fact, we gain his identity when we go through seasons of suffering. Tim Keller, theologian, wrote in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Let's see how many of you would identify with this. He said, Christianity teaches that in contrast to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. In contrast to Buddhism, suffering is real. In contrast to karma, Suffering is often unfair. But in contrast to secularism, suffering is meaningful. You will go through seasons of suffering because in that suffering you are identifying with Christ. He goes on to say there is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Tim Keller goes on to say, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. 
you know, all truth is God's truth, wherever it may be found. And psychologists studying humanity have said that every human needs three things, a sense of belonging, a sense of value, and a sense of competence. A sense of belonging, people that you belong to. A sense of value, I matter. I matter in this world. And and a sense of competence. I can do something. I can contribute something. Only those who are found in Christ can say, I'm accepted in the beloved. Belonging. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Value. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Competence what it means to be in Christ. I want to challenge you on this first Sunday of messages that will walk us through identifying with Christ and His death and resurrection. This morning, let go of misguided identity. Some of you this morning are letting your past define who you are today. Your sins are or sins that were perpetrated against you, you are finding your identity in things that just don't matter. And whether it's finding forgiveness at the foot of the cross or releasing somebody else, you need to reject that misguided identity today. Maybe it's in your own success that you're trying to find your identity. Let it go desire to be found in him. Let go of misguided identity and pursue a deeper knowledge. All of us this morning, every one of us can say that today I am committing myself to know him better, to know him in the power of his resurrection, and to know him and identify him even in my suffering. Is that your commitment? Ask the whole body of Christ this morning. Make those commitments with me. And if you don't know him today, you can start that process. Will you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every heart. Humble before God. If there's someone in here who's never put their faith and trust in Christ, you would say, I can't get to know him better because today I can't even say that I know him at all. Right where you sit, I want to ask you just to pray a simple prayer. It's not the words of any prayer that saves, but it's faith alone in Christ alone. But you can articulate that faith like this, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for my sin on Calvary's cross. I believe you rose from the grave and are alive and well today. Jesus, I turn from sin and self. I receive your forgiveness by faith. I give you my life to be your follower. With every head bowed, no one looking around, if you would say, Pastor Robbie, I prayed that prayer this morning. That's the desire of my heart. Would you just lift up a hand? I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I just want to know if you prayed that prayer. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? That's the prayer of my heart. How many of you would say with me, Pastor Robbie, I know that I know that I know I'm a child of God, but I struggle with some things from my past. I, I struggle with misguided identity. Pray for me because I need to be liberated from that today. Would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I just need to be free from that. Amen. That's a number of us. This morning, how many of you would say, I commit myself today 
as a Christ follower, no, no matter whether this is the best season of your faith that you've ever known or not. But today, I commit myself to know him better than I've ever known him before. Would you just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Amen. Father, we thank you that we can be found in Christ because Christ identified with us when he took on flesh, lived a sinless life, and when you died on Calvary and rose from the grave to secure our only hope. Jesus, we turn from sin and self today. We trust in you. We want to know you. We want to know you personally. We want to know the power of your resurrection. We want to know the passion of your suffering. Help us to grow in these things. In Christ's name, amen.